We want to welcome everyone online, especially our Gracing campus. Can we give it up for our Gracing campus? Yes. So excited. This is our first ever worship experience in Easter, and we're so excited to see what God's going to do in Carter County. And I know he's using you guys to reach this region. I can't wait to see what he has in store. Well, it is Easter morning, so you know what that means? Look at the person sit beside you and say, you look good today. Tell them. You look good. Now look at your second choice on the other side. Say, you don't look bad yourself. You don't look bad yourself. Looking pretty good. Get your hair all due up. That's awesome. I got a question for you. How many of you have ever been so right until you were so wrong? Can I get a witness? Anybody? Come on. Where my husband's at? Husband, get your hand up. Right? I mean, like you were just so right until you were so wrong, until you investigated well, there's a situation happened at my house, and uh, my wife and I, we debated about this, we argued about this, and I put my foot down as the man of the house and said, I am right, and you are wrong. I mean, I just know like my, know my name, I am right about this. And then she got my children to turn against their father, and my three boys, and my baby girl, like, Daddy, you wrong about this. Daddy, you are so wrong. I'm like, Dad, it's right. And I was right for weeks and weeks and weeks. And finally, my children tried to convince me otherwise to investigate, to come and see. And I put my foot down. I said, it is wrong to buy hibachi from a gas station. Can I get a witness? <laughs> I just knew I was right until I was wrong. And now they got us on speed dial, like it's the Lucas family, get 37 yum yum sauces, can I get a witness, right? I'm preaching now. Like my kids bathe in yum yum sauce, you know what I'm talking about? And I've never been so more excited to be wrong about something in my life. And that's the story I wanna share with you about this conversation that happens with this guy named Nicodemus and Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to John chapter three and just wait right there for me. If you have your phone, you can pull your phone up and go to John chapter three because I wanna set the context, I wanna set the background between Jesus and Nicodemus in this, in this conversation. Because if I do the backstory, you'll kind of understand what's going on here in the situation that's taking place. And so let's imagine that you have, um, it's the first century, 1 BC, 2 BC, whatever you want to call it, right? You know, right around when Jesus was born. Let's just imagine you had a little baby boy and you're parents of this new boy and you're so excited about it, especially a Jewish family. You wanted to have a boy to carry on the last name, to carry on the lineage, especially if the baby boy was the first in the family because now the boy had to provide for the family, take care of the family if something happens to the father. So you're really super excited about having a little boy and now you have the one year and the two year and the three year and the four year and a five year birthday and now it's the six year birthday and you are so excited as parents because baby Johnny little baby Johnny gets to go to the synagogue now and teach and learn under the rabbi and so you pack his snackable lunch pail and you got him you got my baby Johnny little Johnny gets to go to the temple now and Johnny goes to the temple and he's taught now by the Torah rabbi and for the next four years, little Johnny is going to learn the first five books of the Bible, and he's going to have them memorized before the age of 10. Listen, you know what one of those books is? Leviticus. If you have the book of Leviticus memorized, you get extra credit when you get to heaven. I'm just saying. I mean, I'm just saying. I'm just kidding. You don't get extra credit, but you know what I'm going here. The rabbi would take the slate that the little boy Johnny, he would bring to write out the law. He would write out the Torah. And the rabbi would take honey and he would drizzle honey over the slate to remind your little boy 
that the word of God is sweet as honey and that he should eat on the word of God day and night. And so your parents and you're excited because little Johnny's underneath the Torah rabbi and you're like, I'm so excited for him to learn about our customs, the law and the Old Testament. This is amazing. And now little Johnny gets to ah, about 10 years old now. So think about fourth, fifth grade, going into the fourth or fifth grade. And the rabbi thinks, hey, you know what? I think Johnny has what it takes to get to the next level. And now little Johnny's invited to come back. And now he's going to learn from Joshua to Malachi. He's going to learn the whole entire Old Testament. In fact, by the age of 15, most of them, if they're really super smart, had the whole Old Testament memorized. That's crazy, y'all. And as a teenager, a preteen here, the rabbi would teach little Johnny how to go back and forth and converse with questions and answers to people of other religions or the other people who didn't know the religious law. And so they were able to debate back and forth with you and master this type of technique to understand how we interpret the law, the first five books of the Bible, and also the whole Old Testament. And now all of a sudden your child turns 15. And you're sitting here and you're really excited to see what the rabbi is going to say about your child. And if you make it to the age of 15 and you're still under the teaching of the rabbi, you now have become like the Harvard boy. You're like the Harvard grad, right? I mean, you're, this is the type of kid that gets a 36 on the ACT and we all want a jack slap. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like this is like smart of the smartest kids. When you get to this level that you're now like you're super elite because now you've probably got the whole Old Testament memorized. You've mastered the techniques by the age of 15 to debate back and forth the religious law. And now as a parent, you're like, my boy, my boy, you know what I'm saying? I can't believe my little baby Johnny. Like, I mean, so like you go around Jerusalem, right, with the bumper sticker that says my kid's a soccer player. Well, my kid's a rabbi. Get you something. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's a rabbi. So you're excited about little Johnny being this rabbi. And now now he becomes a full-fledged rabbi, teacher of the law, interpreter of the law, teaches people the Old Testament backwards and forward. And now because you now become a rabbi, you get a cloak. You have a cloak that has tassels that almost drag the ground, and sometimes they do. You now have the privilege to interpret the law and call it your yoke. See, a rabbi was said, this is my yoke, which means this is my interpretation of the law. Now, if you read through the New Testament, you know there's a passage where Jesus comes and says, listen, my yoke is easy. I know the yoke of the Pharisees, the religious people, it weighs you down, it's heaven, but come to me all who are heavy laden. What did he say? My yoke is light. He's not talking about a yoke that oxen wear. He's talking about his interpretation of the scripture is light. It won't weigh you down and beat you up. It will lift you up to be everything that God wants you to be. The rabbi would also have this technique that if he begins to tell you what's permissible of the Old Testament and what's not permissible, they would call this binding and loosening. He could bind and he could loosen the text to teach you so that you would understand it. If he had a different interpretation of the Old Testament than the other rabbis, he had to converse between a couple rabbis and they had to approve this. But he would stand up and he would say this, you have heard it said... And now I say unto you, does that sound familiar if you listen to the teachings of Jesus as you go all the way through the teaching of Jesus? And then I don't have time to jump into this, but this is one of my favorite techniques. It was called a remez. Remez is where you would come and ask as a rabbi, you would come and ask me a question and I would quote you an Old Testament verse. And when I quoted you the Old Testament verse, the verse didn't answer your question. It was actually the verses before it or the verses after it to prove to you how smart I am about the text. Jesus 
was a master at this technique. Every time the Pharisees would ask them questions, if you remember that, Jesus would quote maybe an Old Testament scripture or say something, it infuriated them that if you remember, they wanted to pick up stones to kill him because now they're using his, their techniques against themselves. And then finally, when a rabbi got to the point where he was going to call his pupils or his disciple, he went and he found the one that he really wanted to pour into, and he would say this, come follow me. And then the disciples at that point, this is a parent's dream because the rabbi is the highest you can go in the Jewish society. If you make it to the elite of the rabbi, like that's the highest you can go in the Jewish society. And now a parent was like, oh my gosh, baby Johnny gets called by a rabbi. And a parent sits to them and go, oh my goodness, he gets to follow a rabbi. And then Johnny would make quotes like this, may the dust of the rabbi fall upon me. And they would walk in the rabbi's shadow, but they only called one pupil. Now let's fast forward as Jesus. He's 30 years old. He begins to walk through the town and says, Matthew, come, follow me. Peter, come, follow me. Andrew, Philip, y'all come, follow me. And the religious people couldn't stand it because now he is calling pupils and disciples to follow him. He's not just calling one, he calls 12. He stands and preaches and says, you have heard it said, talking about what the Pharisee says. But now I say unto you, he's interpreting the law different and he didn't converse with any other rabbis and the religious people could not stand it. They could not stand it. See, we see Jesus as the baby in the manger and we see Jesus as the son of God on the cross, but we miss seeing Jesus as a rabbi. In fact, if you notice this, that when you read through the text, we don't know much about Jesus from birth really until age 30 when he's doing uh, he, he performs his miracles and calls into his ministry. But you got to understand something. When Jesus, at the age of six, Mary took Jesus to the synagogue, Jesus would sit down and listen to the Torah rabbi just like every Jewish boy did. I can imagine Jesus taking tests, oh, you know, when this rabbi said it, and he gets like a perfect A because he's like, I've already inspired this. You know what I'm saying? I got this. You know, I already know this. I already get this. You don't picture Jesus at the age of 10 and the rabbi's going, oh my gosh, I think this guy could be the Harvard grad. I think he could be a great rabbi. And then Jesus raises up. If you remember, there's only one little glimpse in the Bible when Jesus was 12 years old. Mom and dad went down to the synagogue to do the Passover and celebrate the Passover. They leave with the whole family, but they didn't see Jesus. A few days later, they realize that Jesus went with them and they go back to the city and guess where Jesus was? in the temple courts with all the teachers and the rabbis. And the Bible says at the age of 12, Jesus was making them scratch their heads saying, how does he have so much wisdom? See, we don't see Jesus being trained as a rabbi. We only see him as the baby in the manger or crucified on the cross. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus was a rabbi and a master rabbi in the teachings of the law and the oral law, the Talmud and the scriptures. He understand it. I would also suggest to you that all the disciples that he called were under the age of 20 except for one of them. A rabbi would not call anyone older than them. Jesus was 30 years old. The average life expectancy of a Jewish man at this time is between the ages of 30 and 40. Jesus is almost at the end of his age at that time in that culture. And so he begins to call all these disciples who were under the age of 20 except I would suggest to you Peter. I believe Peter was older than 20, and the reason why I would suggest that to you is because there's a place in the text where Peter and Jesus talk about the temple tax. 
Only men over the age of 20 paid the temple tax. None of the other disciples were cared about the temple tax but Peter and Jesus. So I would suggest to you that Peter was probably over the age of 20, which means this. They were all young teenagers. And not only were they teenagers, picture this. When they were six years old, their mom and dad packed their lunch. They went to the synagogue. They were taught by the Torah rabbi. But somewhere between the ages of 10 and 15, the rabbi did not think they had what it takes. And most likely, all the disciples who were fishermen and farmers and tax collectors were rabbi rejects. And it's just a beautiful picture of how God takes imperfect people to change the world, a.k.a. don't miss next series. Because we're going to talk about how God takes jacked up people like me and you and uses us for somehow for his glory and to change the world. See, we don't see this about Jesus. So could you imagine the religious people, the other rabbis, the Pharisees, when Jesus is walking through the town saying, come follow me, performing miraculous signs, doing all these great teachings, interpretations of the law. Could you now see why the religious people were so upset with Jesus? And then we find ourselves in John chapter 3. That was just all introduction. You ready for the sermon? That's just introduction part. Then we get to John chapter 3, and we pick up with this conversation with this guy named Nicodemus and Jesus. Let me tell you something about Nick. I'm going to suggest to you, and I'm going to show you why I believe this in the text, that Nicodemus was the wisest, smartest interpreter of the law of that day apart from Jesus. I'm going to suggest it, and I'm going to show you why I believe that just in a moment. This guy named Nick, here's what you got to understand. At age six, he went straight through the rabbi teaching. By the age of 15, he mastered the rabbi teaching. He becomes a rabbi, then becomes a Pharisee, which the elite of the elite. And now he's part of the Jewish council of the Sanhedrin, which means this. He is the sm- one of the part of the smartest group of people of that day. And now we find this, listen, they both have been trained in the rabbi ways. They both have been trained in the word and the Old Testament and the law and the oral law. And now they converse with this conversation. So I want you to understand that background before they come together and begin to talk. So we get to John chapter 3, verse 1. If you're ready to get started, say, let's go. It's because y'all hungry. I know. Here we go. Watch this. Verse 1. A certain man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Remember this, rabbi, Pharisee, elitist, Jewish council. Let me tell you something else about Nick. He fasted twice a week. He, he tithed once a week. He prayed every day. There's no one better than Nick. If you talk about good works and being religious, no one is more religious than this guy right here. He gets it. But he comes with a sincere heart to Jesus to figure out what's going on. Verse 2. He came to Jesus at night. This is the first Nick at night. Okay, I'm just making sure you're with me, with me this morning. He said to him, look what he says. We believe that the Bible is inspired by God and we believe every word. There's a purpose there, don't we? Rabbi. See, we see Jesus, baby in the manger. We see Jesus on the cross, but we don't seem trained as a rabbi, a master teacher. And Nick The wisest, smartest Jewish interpreter of the law comes to him and says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God because no one can perform this miraculous signs that you do unless God's with him. Nick's not arguing with him. There's no doubt you're from God. Absolutely. You've got it, bro. You are from God. But I need some help here. Because I start going through the scripture and I know what the Bible says and you're doing things differently. And I'm sincerely asking you, Jesus, what's up? 
Jesus knowing his heart, so let's get to the point. Verse 3. I tell you the truth, Nick. I'm going to tell you the truth. Unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? Now listen, I love the Bible. I love it so much. It's so relevant. People think the Bible's born. The Bible's not born, you're born. I mean, there is so much awesome things about in the Bible to read through. And I want you to understand, don't miss this, because we read over this text so fastly. Jesus was performing so many miraculous miracles that Nick believed he could do anything. I'm going to prove it to you. Watch this. He said, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time. Can he? Like, that defies all intellect, right? That defies all laws of nature and everything. And he believed that if Jesus wanted to, he could put a person back in his mama's womb and let him be born a second time. See, don't miss that. Jesus was performing unbelievable, miraculous signs. See, the world says it like this. You're born, then you live, and then you die. Jesus says it's backwards. You died yourself. You're, you're, you're born again, and now you can live. And you can be what he's called you to be. Verse 5. Nick, again, I'm not going to lie to you. I tell you the solemn truth. Unless a person is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Let me clarify this. He's not talking about water baptism and spirit baptism. How do we know that? Because he tells us in verse 6. He says this. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what's born of the spirit is spirit. Just like a woman, when her water breaks, birth begins. Birth happens. You're born the first time. Then there's a second time you're born spiritually. On April the 26th, 1977, I was born physically into this world. On, on September the 2nd, 1997, I was born again spiritually. See, Nick, you got to understand there's two births. You're born, but you got to be born again. Why do I have to be born again, though? Like, why do I have to be born again from above spiritually? Obviously, he was amazed by this. Verse 7, don't be amazed, Nick, that I say to you that you must be born from above. The wind blows, and the wind represents the spirit. The wind blows wherever it will. The spirit blows wherever it will. You hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from and where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born a second time of the spirit of God. And I don't know Nick. I can't text him. I can't Facebook him. But I guarantee his mind went to Ezekiel chapter 37. Because he knows the Bible backward and forward. And he remembers seeing the valley of dry bones. And the spirit and the wind comes and breathes life into dead things and they come up into a rise into an army and he doesn't understand how the spirit gives life how the spirit makes someone born again and Jesus is like what you don't understand Nick is that the spirit of God has actually blew you in here tonight to have this conversation with me because God has a purpose for you Nick I'm not gonna give a spool alert but what you don't know is coming. You thought you were right, but you're about to find out you're wrong. And guess what? God's going to use you greatly. He has a purpose for you. That is the reason, Nick, that you are here. And then watch this, verse 9. How? How can these things be? Jesus, I've got the first five books of the Bible memorized. I study the law. I see what God does in Isaiah and Ezekiel. And I see everything that's coming up in the prophets and the prophecies. But help me understand, how can this be? See, you don't understand, Jesus. From age six, I've been indoctrinated and became one of the most elite of the elite teachers of the word. And I don't understand this. 
And then listen to what Jesus says. Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? Don't miss that definite article. He didn't say you're one of the teachers. He says you're the teacher. Nick is the master teacher of all Israel. What he binds and looses in the text applies to the religious people and replies to all the people. He is the man. And there's no one smarter, wiser than Nick who interprets the oral law, the written law, the first five books of the Bible, the Talmud, and all the other laws added to it. Nick is the man, and Nick's sitting here scratching his head saying, how can this be? How can this be? I don't understand this. So Jesus says, let me help you understand, Nick. Verse 11. I tell you the solemn truth. We speak about what we know and testify about what we've seen. But you people, the religious people, do not accept our testimony. If I told you about earthly things, how do you not believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Verse 13. No, no one ascends into heaven except the Son of Man who has descended from heaven, which was the Son of Man. Now all of a sudden Nick goes, oh, you're going to talk about the Messiah. See, Nick knows when it used the word son of man, it means the Messiah. So you're talking about the son of God now. That's what you're talking about. So there's where we're going with this. And then look what he says in verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. So that, why? Why does the son of man have to be lifted up? Look what the text says. So that everyone, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then the most famous verse in the world comes in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You see, Moses, I know you remember, see, Nick, I know you understand Numbers 21. In Numbers chapter 21, the Israelites rebelled against God and God said, okay, you want to turn your back on me? Okay, here's what's going to happen. He sent poisonous, he allowed poisonous snakes to come into the camp. And the poisonous snakes began to bite the Israelites and kill them. So what did they do? They said, God, we're sorry. They confessed their sins. They repented. God, forgive us. We didn't mean to turn our back on you. God said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take a serpent, a bronze serpent, and you're going to put it on a pole. And you're going to raise the pole up. And whoever is bit by the viper, by the snake, if they will walk by and they will look at the pole, I will cure them. Listen, in the same way, Nick, every single person in the planet, on the planet, has this poison that runs through their veins called sin. And someday the Son of Man, the Messiah, is going to come. He's going to be nailed to a pole. He's going to be lifted up on a pole. And whoever looks to the Son of Man shall be saved. Do you get it, Nick? And Nick automatically goes to Deuteronomy chapter 21 in his mind because Deuteronomy 21 says anybody who's killed and hung on a pole is cursed. Jesus relate, connects himself to a curse. A snake is cursed. Jesus has said the Messiah will be cursed. And here's what Jesus is thinking. I'm going to believe this. Hey, Nick, my curse will become your cure. And I was cursed so that you may live. And I died so that venomous sin that runs through your life, you will be healed. And you will be saved. And then we know the rest of the story. The same group that Nick was a part of, the Sanhedrin, 
the Pharisees, began to lie about Jesus blaspheming. Because he kept saying, you have heard it said, I say unto you, I am the Son of God. I am the Son of Man. What the rabbis have been teaching you is partially true. I've come to fulfill this. I am he. And they put him on trial. And then on Friday, they crucified him. Around 3 o'clock on Friday, Jesus' body is finally dead. There were seven miracles that took place on the cross. I should do a series on seven miracles that took place on the cross. One of those, the last one was he gave his spirit up. You can't do that. Jesus willfully gave his spirit into the Father's hand. That's a miracle. You cannot do that. And he died. And the reason why we know they broke the legs of the two guys with Simon was to go ahead and make sure they were dead. And so when they came to Jesus, they realized he was dead. So just to make sure he was dead, they took a spear and poked him in the side of his heart because they were trained to make sure that he, all the blood would flow out of his heart. So they pierced him to make sure that he was dead and he was dead. But the Jewish custom says, guess what happens at 6 p.m. on Friday? It's the Sabbath. No man can hang on the tree on the Sabbath. You can't touch a dead corpse on the Sabbath. So they secretly hurry, go to Pilate and say, can we have the body of Jesus do a proper burial, place him in a tomb before 6 p.m. so we can have our hands cleansed from a deceased body. And we see right here in John chapter 19, that's exactly what happens. If you look here with me in verse 38, after this Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus, but look here, a secret disciple of Jesus. Why was he a secret disciple of Jesus? Because he was afraid of all of Nicodemus' friends. The Jewish leaders, the council, the Sanhedrin. They asked Pilate if he could remove the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission, so he went and took the body away. And then verse 39, look who it is. It's our boy Nick. All the way back in John chapter 3, see Nick, what you don't understand, the Spirit of God brought you here and blew you here to me because God has a purpose, and God wants to use you greatly. And you're like, what does he want to do? Look, Nicodemus, the man who previously came to Jesus at night, accompanied Joseph, carrying a mixture of myrrh, aloes, weighing 75 pounds. Hang tight, I'm going to come back to that. And then he took the Jesus body, wrapped it with spices and cloth and linen, and did the Jewish proper custom burial. See, what happened was, after that night on John chapter 3, Nicodemus went home every night and he got over the scriptures as his little Torah rabbi taught him that the scripture is sweet as honey and he says can this be could he be the messiah could he really truly be the son of God and then he watched him take a little boy's lunch and feed thousands of people and he went saw heard about Lazarus rising from the dead he heard about him walking on water could this be the one and then he finally came to the realize, man, I was right until I was wrong. And you know what he did? He went down to the store and he bought 75 pounds of spices. Let me tell you something about Nick. If his family member passed away, they take a little bit of spice, throw it on them, wrap them up and go place them in the tomb. What's so significant about 75 pounds of spices? That was only used for a royal burial. What hung over his head that said the king of the Jews, Nicodemus realized now that he is the king of the world and he deserves a proper burial. That when the son of man was lifted up on the pole, Nick finally looked to it and understand exactly what that meant now. And now his sins can be forgiven because he looks to Jesus. And he gives him a king, a proper, proper burial. 
And I want you to know something about Nick. Once he did that and laid him in a tomb, he went home that night. He had to take his rabbi cloak off. Because now longer the Sanhedrin is going to allow him to be a rabbi. Now he's an outcast. Now the people who crucified Jesus is going to hate Nicodemus because now he bowed his knee to the Son of Man who's been lifted up on the pole. And everything he studied from the age of six, from a little boy, he got all the awards. He became a Pharisee. He became a part of the city. He became the master teacher of Israel. There's no higher status. Now falls on his knees humbly and said, he's the king. I was partially right. But he came to fulfill it. And now I see. And I know what some of you may be saying. Pastor, thank you for the Bible lesson. But what does it have to do with me? Well, there's a few observations. Number one, the Spirit of God blew you here today. Whether you're watching online and in grace and you are not here by mistake, I don't care if it was an invite, a card, a billboard, a shirt. You finally said, honey, be quiet. I'll go on Easter. Just get off my back. Quit inviting me. I'm here to tell you God used that. But the Spirit of God blew you into this place. You would not be sitting here or watching online if God did not want you here. And he blew you into this place because he has a purpose for your life. He has something to say to you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he wants to encourage you and build you up in your faith through the preaching and edification of his word. So you'll never get over the cross. You'll be always reminded how awesome the cross is and how it changed your life. That when you look to the Son of Man on the pole, he cured you of your sin. Never get over that. But then there's some of you here, you're just here checking this God thing out. You may believe intellectually, but you never had a heart connection. God brought you here this morning for me to tell you that he loves you. And he has a purpose for your life. Nick didn't see the purpose. Nick didn't know that he's about to bury the king of kings. But Nick also didn't put the connection together that three days later, he's going to get up out of that grave. And now we see. Here's something else we see. Your good works are not good enough. And your good works cannot save you. I know this is not proper grammar, but there's no one gooder than Nick. Fasted, tithe, pray, teacher of the law. There's no one better. And there's so many people who come on Easter think, you know what, I checked off the box. I'm a pretty good person. Now, I'm not as bad as she, but I'm a pretty good person myself. And you come in your own good works thinking your good works is going to make you right with God. Well, I went to church. I prayed. I read my Bible. I dropped a 20 in the bucket when it went by. So obviously me and God were pretty cool, right? Wrong. You'll never be good enough. Hey, Nick, you'll never be good enough. Because you've got this poison that runs through your veins called sin. But I'm telling you, I've sent my son. If you'll get born again, guess what? You're not good enough, but what he did on the cross was good enough. It's not Jesus plus read your Bible. It's not Jesus plus tithe. It's not Jesus plus go to church. It's not Jesus plus baptism. It's Jesus plus Jesus plus Jesus, only Jesus. We make another observation is this. To be born again, you must believe. I would go, I would say the majority of you here, you believe. You believe something intellectually. You may be here and you say, Pastor, I believe he's God's son. Awesome. I believe that he died on the cross. No one can deny that. There's not an atheist on the planet, historian on the planet will ever deny that. He died on the cross. There's too many historical documents to prove. He's, okay, a man named Jesus died on the cross. We just believe he got up out of the grave. 
You may believe, Pastor, I even believe he got up out of the grave. Good. So does the devil. My question is, do you have the right belief? If you say you believe in Jesus and it's never changed your life, listen to me, you have the wrong belief. Go ask Nick. Because when you believe something so heartily, it changes your life. You take the cloak off. You leave everything behind because I'm going to follow him. And Jesus asks you to follow him, to become his disciple, his pupil. And then the last thing we see here is that Nick was all about the law. That's what he's been told his whole life. Jesus wanted to flip the script and said, it's not about the law, it's about love. In fact, Nick, here's what you got to understand. The cross equals love. And in 1 John chapter 4, I want you to listen to what John writes. He says this. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that he, we might have eternal life through him. Listen to me, folks. You'll live forever. Did you know that? You were created to live forever in one or two places, a place called heaven or a place called hell. It's your choice. You will live forever. Your body will die, but you'll continue to live. And then it says in verse 10, and here's the title of my message, this is Real love. Real love is not that you love God. Real love is not that you showed up on Easter. Real love is not you tithe or that you read your Bible or that you pray or that you serve. That's not real love. Here's what real love is. Not that we love God, but he loves us. That yet while we were sinners, he sent his son and died for us. That whoever will look at the son of man on the pole shall live. That he loves us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. How much does God love you? This much. This much, folks, that is real love. The cross equals love. I'm going to ask if you would to bow your heads. I'm going to ask if our whole worship team come back out just for a moment. This is our last service, and we're going to end this pretty rowdy. Listen, God has brought you here this morning. No doubt about it. Through an invitation, an invite, a billboard, a Facebook post. Somehow you have allowed the spirit that you don't even know is working in your life blow you into this place. And you may see, and your eyes may be open this morning to the truth and if you're here and the spirit is doing something in your life you're like man I thought I believed but now I truly believe I truly believe then I'm going to ask you to cry out to the Lord to change your life you see saying a prayer won't save you but the Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth you confess, with your heart you believe. And if your heart believes that Jesus Christ is Lord, then I'm going to ask you to confess it. 
by crying out to him. Please hear me. Saying a prayer won't save you. My eighth grade year, I walked out, said a prayer, and I never met Jesus. My junior year, I walked, senior year, I walked an hour in high school, said a prayer, and I never met Jesus. But finally on September the 2nd, 1997, I cried out because I heart finally believed that he is the son of God. And it radically changed my life. And it's my heart, prayer, and desire that salvation will visit this house right now. I can't save you. I can't change you. Only the Spirit of God, and I promise you, He brought you here for me to tell you He loves you. So if that's you and you're ready to give your life to Jesus, then I want you to just cry out with me. Say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you came for me. I believe you died for me. And I believe you got up out of the grave for me. And today, my eyes have been opened. Today, I see. And as best as I know hell, help me follow you all the days of my life. I'm going to trust and believe that you prayed, several of you prayed that with me. Because just like Nicodemus, you saw the Son of Man lifted up. And so I'm asking you to do something that's pretty bold. We know when you go public in baptism, you show the whole world you put the jersey on. But this Sunday's kind of pre-game. And I believe we don't have to be like Joseph and Marathea, that we don't have to be a secret follower of Jesus, that we can make it public. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to count to three. And if you prayed that with me, I want you to stand up. But my spouse is beside me. Don't worry about them. What about my parents think? Don't worry about them. <laughs> People are already standing. My coach is here. Your coach would be proud of you. So if you prayed with me to give your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to be bold and stand up. Here we go. One, two, three. Come on. Would you stand? Stay standing. Stay standing. Stay standing. Anybody else? Anybody else? Come on. Come on. You got nothing to be embarrassed about. Come on. I'm proud of you. Proud of you. I see you, man. You know why you're able to stand? You know why you're able to stand? Because the Spirit of God in you. Nothing within you wants you to stand up. Nothing. But when your heart's changed, <laughs> how can you not take the grave clothes off and step into the destiny that God has for you? I am so proud of you. Now here's what I'm going to ask you to do just in a moment. You stay standing. And just in a moment, we're going to sing and we're going to worship and we're going to end this Easter weekend pretty rowdy. But I want you to do me a favor. We have some resources that we want to give every one of you. And those resources are found in the next step area in the red room across there. I'm as your pastor, I want you to do me a favor. In just a moment, we're going to dismiss. Would you please just go out to the Red Room? We have a Bible we want to give you and some resources. Just let them know that you're one of the guys that stood up, one of the girls that stood up. 
and we're going to see God do some great things. So let's pray. I'm going to ask everybody to stand on their feet. Lord, thank you so much for what you're doing in this place. Father, your arms had wrapped around your people and you're changing their lives. And because of your presence and you live, we can live. God, I still believe there's people with addiction that needs to be delivered. Father, we rejoice, woo, because we have been liberated from the bondage because we looked to the pole the Son of Man hung on. We now have more sons and daughters in the family, God, because your Spirit's moving. So, Father, we're going to sing like we've never sung before. Come on. Thanks for joining us online today. If while watching this message, you were led to take a next step or made the decision to start following Jesus, we would love to celebrate with you. Let us know on our website at betterlife.church slash next steps. To stay connected throughout the week, download the Better Life app and consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcast. Lastly, if you would like to support what God is doing through this ministry, you can give online at betterlife.church slash give now. We're praying you have a great week and hope to see you again soon. 